So I know everybody, everyone's got the same complaint that I do about drivers on the road, but I'm just, (laughs) I want, like, it's not unique because I'm like, I want to rant about this in the recording today. I'm like, but everyone does the same thing. Like everyone's talked about this. Uh, I'm going to do it anyway, though. And and I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to dissect it a little more and get down to like the nuts and bolts about what makes me angry. So one of the things that I absolutely can't stand is people who drive slow on long freeways uh, when it's just one lane going out of direction. And then when you finally get two lanes, they decide they're going to speed up. Uh, and you're yeah. like, wow, I, I have to I have to go an excessive amount of speed to get past this person so that for the rest of this highway, I don't have to sit behind them again. But they're speeding up. Now, here's the thing. Like, I I hate it w- with it makes me really mad. And I, I know that just saying the words really mad doesn't really, uh, you know, come out, but it does. It infuriates me. It's up there with, it's like a salmon bisque level kind of BS is, <laughs> is what it is. So, you know, yeah. You know what it makes me think of? What? Uh, because it seems so intentional. Have you ever considered that uh, you're Truman from the Truman Show? Well, and everyone <laughs> is just here to fuck with you. Uh, you know, I, I think it's more one of those things. Have you guys considered me not being Truman from the Truman Show? I think that'd be weirder at this point. Because here's the thing about it. I actually do not get mad when they're driving slow and it's just the one lane. I, I mean, as long as they're not like excessively. So I don't really care that much because it's one of those things where it's like, look, I get it. You don't want to drive that fast. And the other thing, too, is I don't want to ride their ass and get mad at them and have them suddenly go faster. Because if that, like, stroked out gerbil that's currently running the wheel in their head cannot figure out road decisions at 50 miles an hour. I don't want it to attempt it at 70. Okay. Like that's, that's kind of my state. Um, so I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll back off. I'm frustrated, but you know what? Like I'll back off. Uh, but when it opens up, you go to the right lane, especially because on the particular road I'm thinking of, there is a big sign that says, uh, it is unlawful, uh, to sit your ass in the left lane. Use the yeah. word unlawful. The sit your ass in the left lane. I, I may have. I may have made up. Um, but yeah, it uh, it <laughs> says no, that. There's a sign, <laughs> and you'll pass it, and they'll stay in the left lane, or they'll go to the right lane, and they'll go faster. They'll go significantly faster. And here's why they do it. They do it because that gerbil is now more comfortable because there's more space. So they will drive faster because they weren't comfortable when there was less space. That's the only reason they're doing it. So they are driving on instinct. That's what you have to understand. They are not actively making decisions anymore. They are simply driving on instinct. This feels better. I'll go faster here. I should go slower here, which I'm not saying you shouldn't go slower when your instinct tells you to go slower. I'm just saying that their instinct sucks and not making actual decisions. Or, or, and I mean, that's, that, that's reasonable. That actually is probably the most likely answer unless they're sitting there and they're like, uh, all right, uh, base, we've got him. He, he doesn't, he's trying his best not to (laughs) be angry, but I can see him in the rearview mirror. All right. Uh, we're hitting that long stretch. All right. Perfect. Uh, car one speed up. And then, and then there you are, Truman. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, Let's start the show. All right. This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. 
This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. Also brought to you by Spearmint. It doesn't make sense until after you chew it and then you take a drink of water and it feels like a knife has gone into your mouth. All right, everybody. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh, God. I, I'm going to leave that in, including my awful, ugly cough laugh. Because uh, that right as we were cutting to the intro, I got a text uh, from a family member and I had to text him back really quick. And in that time, Spencer just started rambling. And then I kind of cut back in. At the same time, my brain picks up on the weird shit he's saying. And that that's what I came back to. So welcome to another episode of EMS 2020, uh, the show where we talk about eating knives uh, or apparently taking knives to the mouth. Yeah, this is the show where Spencer and I, both uh, longtime paramedics, review actual out-of-hospital calls and uh, and see what we can uh, what we can all learn from them. If you would like your call to appear on this show, visit our social media at EMS20 slash 20 on Facebook and at EMS2020 show on Instagram. Give it a follow and check out the Beacons page on Instagram or a pinned post on Facebook. There will be a link to a form that you can fill out. You fill out that form, it goes to us. Uh, don't worry, we don't use that for the call. That's just basically a, hey, this is what happened. Here's my contact info, let's chat. And then we find you and we chat with you. God, that sounded threatening. And we find you. <laughs> we and will we find you. Find you. Don't worry. There'll be a, a knock on the door. No one will be there. Then the phone will ring twice. If you don't have it by that second ring, God help you. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we'll find you. Good and, luck. <laughs> we won't murder your family. And we will uh, get the, uh, we'll no get promises. the Yeah. Well, I mean, unless yeah. you want us to. Uh, but anyway, yeah. so <laughs> we'll get the deeds of the call from you. And, uh, and we'll, we're going we're gonna to have a good time with it. We'll have a good time with it. And, uh, and yeah, there's that. Uh, yeah. if you want to send us an email, um, I don't know. I just use our social media. It's better anyway. And it helps the show spread. So do that. Um, but yeah, anyway, so, uh, also check out our YouTube channel, which is rapid sequence information. Uh, there is stuff coming down the pipe for it. I know it's so slow getting it out. Um, if you guys have been listening to the show, you know that I've had some, uh, my father recently passed away. So I've been uh, handling all those things. Uh, so what uh, the extra stuff is on hiatus for a bit. Uh, so there's that. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think this is it. Let's, let's do it. Let's talk about the stuff. All right. A couple things this episode is going to focus on. Uh, we're going to talk about some pre-gaming done right yeah, in nice. my opinion. And mm -hmm. we're going to talk about a little topic uh, called uh, code switching. And uh, I think we'll have a pretty good discussion well, uh, because. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of. So as a few guys have pointed out when it comes to pre-gaming, I don't disagree with this. So pre-gaming, you know, I mean, we, we talk about it, it's just basically like talking about the call before you get there. And a couple people point out like, hey, man, that can kind of lead you astray sometimes because sometimes you can go down a rabbit hole before you get there and then and go and then, you know, wind up doing that. Yeah, you know, it basically uh, be biased when you walk in without doing an assessment. And you're 100 percent right. Uh, you don't want to do that. What we're talking about pre-gaming is kind of like, OK, hey, if this is a code, here's your assignment. Here's my assignment, like that kind of stuff. So you're not. That you're not walking into a call uh, that's a, that's a code that, you know, I mean, it could become a non-code, but if it doesn't become a non-code, you know, you're not trying to figure <laughs> out who does what uh, yeah. when you get in there, you yeah. know? So it's just basically more like uh, figuring out tasks uh, and whatnot, if it's going to be something. But yeah, you guys are right. Yeah. I mean, pre-gaming, never, ever, ever dispatch information at its best 
is going to be completely accurate uh, by some untrained person on the other end of the phone. Uh, it's usual is that it is not. Uh, you just have to yeah. remember, like you have a completely untrained person trying to relay what they think is going on to somebody else who is then trying to relay it to you. Uh, and no matter how good of a dispatch center you have, things are going to get lost. So anyway, uh, what is code switching again? Or are we going to find uh, out? Should I just shut up? We will find out, All sir. Right. We will find out. All <clears throat> right. Any other questions before we go? No, sir. All right. So uh, on to episode uh, 12.875 kilometers. That's an interesting name. 12 point. It seems like a very specific distance. Why? Why are we? Uh, what's with the distance? <laughs> oh, you'll just have to see. All right. All right. So uh, let's start with the perspective of the story. Uh this story was brought to us by Polar Rabbit. I know what this is. I just went to Google and put in 12 point. I'm not going to ruin it for everybody, but I know where this is going. Uh, yeah, really quick. Is this, is this a U.S. based call? This is not. No, it is not. Yeah. No. Nope. <laughs> well done, sir. All right. Back to Polar Rabbit, a.k.a. P-Rabbit. Okay. <laughs> P-Rabbit is a primary care paramedic hailing from one of the uh, great provinces of Canada. Uh, for those not familiar with their EMS designations, a primary care paramedic or PCP uh, with some variation between provinces is equivalent to the U.S. EMT advanced or advanced EMT. Gotcha. EMTA. Uh, level with some additional things such as they can initiate IVs and administer several non-narcotic IV medications. For example, TXA, Toradol, uh, Dextrose. Um, they're able to interpret four leads on their own and they can do 12 leads. Uh, they just have to consult with online medical control uh, regarding like what the interpretation, the sure. interpretation is. Yeah. Hey, I want to put um, these stickers on. Can I doc? <laughs> I think yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they <laughs> have superglottic airways. Um, and important for this review, uh, they don't have access or the ability to use narcotic medications such as fentanyl. Gotcha. Um, so let's keep that in mind. So but even they if there also, was, even if there wasn't a, a, a more advanced level responder that the, there just isn't any access either. Yeah. For, for all intents and purposes. Uh, yeah. no, they don't. Um, but uh, they do have, you know, like they can do wound packing. Um, they can, you know, that kind of stuff. So there, there's there's a little more to their scope than your your typical uh, EMTA, I think, just on its own. Um, so anyway, uh, P-Rabbit has roughly two years experience as a primary care paramedic. Uh, they are working with P-Artner. Uh, and this is P-Artner's first shift as a fully qualified primary care paramedic. We get a lot of these <laughs> from uh, my partner's first time. And yeah. here's this call or this right. was my first call. Uh, it's yeah. I, yeah. I, somebody should keep track. <laughs> Got it, right. Yeah. All right. Maybe us. <laughs> Maybe us. But yeah. no, no, no. All right, so let's talk about the system they work in. Uh, P-Rabbit works for a government-run ambulance service in a rural uh, province. Essentially, they have uh, two dedicated ground ambulances for their area that are staffed with double primary care paramedics. And there are two other ambulances, which are also somewhat available, but they're dedicated essentially to the advanced care paramedics. That would be sort of the equivalent of like, the U S paramedics. 
um, okay. more or less. And then also uh, the CCP medics. So these are like the critical care who operate on the like medevac side of the service. So when you um, say medevac side, you mean like helicopters and stuff? Uh, I don't know specifically if they have he helicopters. Says with an enthusiastic I think- yawn. That's how you know I'm in the show. I'm boring. Asleep. Yeah. <laughs> boring. <laughs> yawn. So, yeah. Uh, when I live my life by the nautical mile, it tends to not uh, <laughs> face me. <laughs> I was I was doing my best. What is that? I live my life by the quarter mile or something like that? Is that a yeah? Oh, Fast yeah, and Furious yeah, reference. Yeah. yeah, quarter mile at a time. Mm. Live my life a quarter mile at a time. Yeah, I think. God, it's yeah. been a while since I watched that. All right. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. So I, I know they have fixed wing transports and they do a lot of that. I don't recall if they have helicopters. I'm going to say maybe, probably. Uh, but I do know that these guys are basically gone all the time because of the ruralness of their area. Uh, and they're constantly flying out to other places, taking them to a central hospital and then from the central hospital, flying them into a not, uh, not as bad as the central hospital is. Ah, I gotcha. So, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll go into more detail, but yeah, they're, they're gone. They can be requested to respond for, you know, like, like, wow, this call definitely needs an ACP. Please show up, guys. If they're around, they can respond. But if they're not, then it's the PCPs that are taking care of everything. And it sounds like right. normal is not around. So, uh, yeah. Um, so here's the thing. How big is this response area? Um, let's pretend for a moment that their service area is a perfect circle. Um, and okay. the diameter of this circle would be a four hour trip by ambulance. Ooh, and just so everyone knows, diameter and radius is, uh, yeah, radius is halfway, diameter is the whole way. Yeah, radius so di- would diameter, be two hours. Yeah, yeah, ooh, there you go. Gotcha, nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. So, all right, so so we have a circle, it's a four-hour wide circle, and uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. all right, so two ambulances for a four-hour wide circle. <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's a, uh, <laughs> yeah. whoosh, wow, that, huh. Okay, all yeah. right. Well, the crews work 12-hour shifts, and they have a schedule that rotates them through a, like, day-night shift uh, every so often. Uh, they collectively run about 10 to 15 calls in a 24-hour period, and they have one hospital, which they transport everybody to. This hospital is basically described as kind of a standalone ER, has very limited abilities. For instance, no ICU. Um, okay. There's no cath lab. Uh, meaning that any critical patients who get brought into this hospital would have to get flown out to a larger hospital many hours away. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. There yeah, is, is a fire service. Is this like yeah, critical cool. access level then? Um, I think. I think it's probably larger. Like I'm, I work adjacent to a critical access hospital. I imagine it's larger than that, but okay. I don't think it, it, I don't think it has much more uh, okay. than, yeah. Than that. All right. So, all right. Uh, there is a fire service and the firefighters are all at least emergency medical responders, which I think those terms cross pretty well from the American to the Canadian system um, in terms of like, durability but uh yeah they don't really respond to medical calls unless you know like a car accident or fire is involved um 
it's usually in this situation, it's the police that, uh, or actually not police, excuse me, Royal Mounties that will respond, uh, God, that often is awesome. on these more critical calls and they will actually help, uh, the ambulance crews out. So that is so awesome. All right. All right. Questions. Cool. I know. Uh, no, 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 right. no questions I, yet. I was told they don't ride on horses most of the time. Mm. <laughs> It does seem fairly impractical. I mean, I, yeah. If you think if you think a four hour, because you met, yeah, that was a four hour radius, uh, but by horse, it's a fortnight from one side to the other. Actually, a horse can gallop about thirty five miles an hour. I think. All right, all right. Yeah. So it's an it's an ambulance low on death fluid. Okay, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> perfect there are way too many people listening to this that they're like yeah no i I know that i know that feeling (laughs) all right it's 3 a.m p rabbit and p artner have just cleared the hospital uh p rabbit's about to go in and grab their partner so that they can all head back to the station when they hear uh their dispatch come over the radio and in that brief open mic prior to this dispatcher directly talking to them they hear a call taker in the background ask he was shot where p rabbit is excited and hopes (laughs) that this will be their shot nay their opportunity and they don't want to let it slip one shot one opportunity Uh, if anybody has not guessed 12.87 kilometers happens to be eight miles (laughs) they hear their unit call sign and p rabbit rapidly grabs their partner and confirms the response on the air uh their dispatcher advises that they are to respond in stage for an unknown patient with a reported gunshot wound the address is roughly 10 minutes away P rabbit takes the hot seat, which is the passenger seat of the ambulance and their partner P Artner will drive them to the scene. They use lights without sirens because uh, it's 3am and there isn't really anyone out on the road. Um, And so like, Hey, let's, let's keep it quiet. Uh, P P rabbit and P Artner do discuss their primary roles for arrival on scene. Uh, P rabbit announces that, Hey, I'm going to do the patient assessment and I'm going to work on stopping the bleed, like resuscitating the patient. If need be P Artner is in charge of grabbing equipment uh, and bringing like, you know, the oxygen in and working on getting an extrication plan in place so that they can load the patient and hmm. get over to the hospital so ASAP. I, I, and I just want to make sure I'm, I'm correct here. P Rabbit's the more expensive one. P Artner, this is day one for them, correct? This is yes, P Artner's day exactly. one. Okay. I think I might've yep. done these assignments a little bit differently, but um, oh, we'll talk about it later. We'll right. see how things turn out, but I'll, I'm going to put a note right. here and we'll, we'll revisit it. Okay. Sounds good. Um, so as they start to go through that process, their dispatcher contacts them and gives them the following update. Be advised, we're on conference call with the Mounties and the caller, and they are advising the scene sounds safe, and you can enter if you'd like. <laughs> what if I don't uh, like? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, let nah. me give you a little background here. Uh, okay. And this is from, you know, P. Rabbit. Uh, so there are two types of shootings that typically mm-hmm. occur in this area. Hunting accidents being one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. And then illicit shootings. Now, handguns are regulated in this area, uh, very heavily regulated. Uh, yeah. So it sort of indicates like, hey, if someone does get shot, uh, it's often connected to other secondary 
uh, like concurrent criminality <laughs> that is oh happening. gotcha so uh yeah they're they're just they're not a thing un- unless you have an illegal one for some reason so uh yeah that's uh that's what's going on there so uh there is some reluctance uh from their part to really want to pursue this. But P rabbit does ask for more information and learns the following. Uh, the patient was shot elsewhere and has traveled to the location. They're currently at uh, the okay. location that EMS is being dispatched to. And right. from the EMS and police, uh, they're essentially on a conference call with this patient or the you know, nine one one caller. The okay. scene sounds calm, and the caller is expressing that the patient was shot in the leg and says that it's bad. So, Chris, thoughts here? Would you dive in, save the day? Got, so, really quick, I don't think I have enough background actually because I, I don't. Why did the patient? Did I? Admit, did you say it? Like why the patient? How the how the bullet found the patient's leg? Uh, no, no. Okay, we, uh, then we don't no. know how the bullet. Then no. <laughs> That's until I know how the bullet got to the guy's leg, then no, none of this other stuff matters. Sounds calm. It's like, yeah, per the person on the phone, maybe the person on the phone is the person who shot him trying to kill the guy. You have no idea. Like, yeah, no, sounds calm is not good enough. Uh, my, my next thought would be this, be like, Hey, how did the patient get shot? If they're like, Hey, hunting accident. Although still, if it's a murder on the phone, they might say something like that, I guess. Um, but yeah. at least that would be more information as to like how it happened. Uh, but yeah, there's, so my thought here is th- there's not enough info to go in. You need more info. Yeah. Nice. So, so at yeah. this moment in time, no, I wouldn't go in, but I would ask a question and depending on the answer to those questions, then I would. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the basic information they have is shot elsewhere now at this location, which actually, and I'm going to back it up again to this don't go in even if even if it's unintentional because if you go in there and there's a firearm kicking it there and you have no idea how to make a firearm safe um then don't try and approach that that's what police are there for you know uh, just because a shooting is unintentional does not mean that firearms on on scene are safe they're not they are inherently not um so yeah i would say that uh, actually i don't know i'm actually gonna change my answer here a little bit um, I think a good way to get hurt is to think, you know, that you're safe with firearms and then go get yourself hurt. Uh, so yeah, I would put it this way. My other question would be, where's the firearm now, whether it's an accident or not. If they're like, yeah, the firearm's not here. It's back at the place where he got shot. Great. Then I'm fine. But if there's a firearm on scene, you don't know the quality of that firearm. You don't know how that firearm's yeah. doing. Um, you know, so yeah, it's uh firearms on scene, even when the intention is innocent, uh, are not safe inherently. Yeah. Uh, so right. going in there with someone like PD, uh, who has vest and uh, and maybe maybe some kind of protocol on how to handle those things and handle those and hopefully of, uh, a large things. horse. Yeah, and, and basically just not you isn't is, is <laughs> I, mean, I hate to say that it's probably not safe for yeah. PD either. But you know if, yeah. if it's me or them. You know, unless it's an officer I like, in which case I'll be like, okay. But yeah. <laughs> oh, and there actually man. are a lot of yeah. pretty funny officers out there. So I like a lot of, ah, shit, this is, this is a conundrum. 
All right, change my answer again. I would. I'm just kidding. I would die on the fire. Chris, Chris dives on the grenade, and uh, yeah, no, I think your, I think your point of like, okay, is there a firearm? Do like, can the caller mm. verify that the firearm is not on scene? Yeah. That there are no weapons on this scene. Uh, that that might be a better question. I I tend to go like, you know what? This sounds complicated. Let's let other people who are prepared to encounter these situations. Because uh, I can tell you, my prep is essentially like, oh, fuck, I'm being shot at. Please don't kill me. And I cry and just try and make them feel like really awkward. Really bad. And leave. Yeah. yeah. That'll work. No, yeah, <laughs> That'll I think, work. No, you're, yeah. yeah. EMS 2020, yeah. guys, you heard it here first. That's yeah. the, that's how you handle it right there. Just cry. I wet myself. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, P Rabbit says that they momentarily envisioned responding in without police and getting the opportunity to save this unknown patient from the depths of hypovolemic shock. Canadian geese would honk at their heroics from above him, belting out in their own, like belting out their own majestic version of Oh Canada and beavers <laughs> would rise from the water and salute. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that they would. But uh p rabbit has this really weird aversion to being shot so they decided they were just gonna stay and st yeah, stage all right. until the batteries arrived and clear the suit yeah uh by the way they <laughs> i wish i could take credit for for this writing uh this this is a nod to uh, what they wrote into us so okay <laughs> Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, these guys decide to park behind Human Shield Retirement Home, uh, which <laughs> is that the, is that what what the person who sent the call in contributed? Human Shield Retirement Home. No, 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 no. They're they're just adjacent. This is an old folks oh, gotcha. home, kind of adjacent to the scene. Uh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Just happened to be named Human oh, Shield. Oh wait, retirement I'm understanding home. it now. For some odd reason, in my mind shifting gear, I'm like, man, how does someone get shot at a retirement home? <laughs> <laughs> this place is just off the hook i'm sure you can find it i'm sure if you google it someone shot at retirement home it's happened but uh yeah i mean in all of the 50 states i'm sure this is a thing but uh right we're not yeah. in the 50 states so yep all right yeah. so uh yeah they park there it's got easy access to the road and a proximal location to the scene that they are dispatch to um they discuss the response and you know possibly an escape plan from the scene uh by the way the escape plan uh that they sent in involved fleeing the area and then getting ice cream which they could cry into um, okay gotcha that yeah. was perfect Right. Uh, they they reiterate their initial roles for the scene. Uh, P Rabbit does get into the back of the ambulance and sets up uh, IV bags, um, IV starting equipment, as well as getting out supplies they need, uh, such as, you know, hey, this is the fluid bag. I'll mix this file of TXA into. Perfect. Um, they so they can help clotting. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. <laughs> uh, speaking oh, of diving man. on grenades, Chris. There you go. There you go. Uh, they yeah, also it. have uh, that's me clot. chucking grenades. That's what that shit is. Yeah. <laughs> they also have quick clot and absorbent dressings out and ready. Um, yeah. And within five minutes, they hear that the Mounties have secured the scene and are advising them that they can now respond. So, Chris, uh, give me your thoughts on this pregame. All right. Uh, so first, got my... their equipment set and roles designated. Yeah. 
So my first thought in this pregame is that it actually turns out a horse's top speed, when we were talking about the quarter horse, which is the fastest sprinter, is actually 55 miles an hour. Uh, thoroughbreds can go a lot longer at 44 miles an hour. However, the average equine gallop across all the breeds is around 27 miles an hour. So that's what you can expect them to be clocked at. Um, anyway. <laughs> no, but do the Mounties have a particular breed of horse that they use? I, if I was a Mountie, I'd probably say I'd want to use a thoroughbred because they, they run for longer. Quarter horses are fast. I had horses growing up. We had quarter horses and uh, quarter horses are fast, uh, but quarter horses, you know, quarter of a mile. That's that's the problem. They're fast for gotcha. a little bit. And then they're like, I'm tired. And you're like, all right, now you're grumpy. Uh, but anyway. Uh, so yeah, uh, but no, my thoughts in this pregame is, uh, no, this is a pretty good pregame. Um, I like, you know, they're, they're thinking about their safety first, which is what needs to be there. And that's great. So they hide behind human shield retirement home, which is still, uh, which is so great. And yeah, they talk about the very common things when you're talking about somebody getting shot. The big thing is bleeding because that's what you can fix. Cause if they're shot in the head, you're not going to fix that on scene. The only thing you're going to fix on scene as best you can is bleeding and the number one way to do that is stop the bleeding. And then the second thing you do is try and replace the volume that's lost. If you have blood product, that's the best. If you don't have blood product, uh, the next thing you can do is crystalloid fluids, uh, which have problems um, that can yeah. that can kill people down the line. Don't get me wrong. But uh, they're, you know, because a lot of people are like, I'd never get crystalloid fluids. Oh, well, don't say that. Um, because there is a point where like, hey, uh, a zero over zero blood pressure is dead. Uh, if there's any blood cells left with oxygen still somehow clinging onto them, I'd like to push those towards the brain. And the only way you can do that is crystalloid fluid. So, uh, in a lot of these patients, um, while the issues that come with the mass infusion of crystalloids are indeed lethal and are indeed a big deal later down the line, uh, most of these patients won't make it later down the line if you don't at least try, uh, with those. So later down the line, maybe the best they got and you always got to give them the best they got. Um, but anyway, they're getting set, uh, pretty well. Uh, they got stuff out to, um, you know, quick cloud absorber dressings. Why no tourniquet? Oh, uh, cause they already have the tourniquets out. So I just failed to, Yep. Okay. Yeah. And he's I was, got I was the say, tourniquets I, I, that they he's have to carry one him. now. That 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 yeah. that is a that's uh, well. Actually, never mind. We're in Canada. I don't know what their standards are. Never mind. Uh, yeah. So but yeah, I, I mean, presumably they're carrying tourniquets in Canada because uh, P Rabbit's yeah. got one. Or okay. Two. Perfect. I don't know. Uh, yeah. And then yeah. So you guys heard my little count about TXA. If you're not like a long time listener of the show, um, I proudly and boldly say that TXA does indeed help clotting. Uh, and I, we've had many people. <laughs> Send messages to the show that say it doesn't help clotting. I'm like, here's here's the fun part. And they tell me how TXA works. And then we sit there and we both agree on how TXA works. And I say, and it helps clotting. Uh, what TXA does <laughs> is TXA inhibits the lysing of clotting. Okay. It, it blocks the body's ability to destroy clots, to break them down. And so people say, well, that doesn't help clotting. I'm like, well, it obviously helps clotting. Uh, you either don't understand how clotting works or you don't understand what the word help means. Uh, if, uh, if the game is team A versus team B and you introduce a team C that murders half of team B, you helped team A. Okay. <laughs> That's what this is. Yeah. So if TXA comes in and wipes out a lot of the factors that would dissolve clots, you helped clots. Okay. Cause, and the thing is, is, uh, these are clots. So clot clotting is, is an ongoing process. Okay. What the way clots work is one unit of clot is a platelet. All right. A platelet gets stuck somewhere for a lot of different reasons. Not only do they just plain get stuck on physical obstructions there, your body will actually release, uh, other things that will make them clot more in specific areas. Um, but 
uh, a platelet goes somewhere, it gets stuck, and more and more platelets get stuck to it and continue to grow uh, on the clot unless it gets lysed. Okay, so if it gets lysed, which means it gets destroyed, um, then it doesn't grow. So if you stop the process that lyses the clot, it will continue to grow. In other words, you helped a clot grow. In other mm, words, you know. helped clotting. <laughs> And there's no way around it. There is no way around it. You cannot both understand the process of clotting and the English language and say the TXA does not help clotting. I said it again. I will say it till I fucking die. All right. Moving on. Man, what fucking horse got in your, got in your right lane and obstructed you? Yeah. The quarter horse. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> all right all right all right so uh these guys arrive at the scene uh p uh rabbit and p art p artner and uh mm. they see two mounties standing out by their vehicles uh p rabbit notices that they both look calm uh as they get out one of the mounties informs rabbit and artner that the patient is stable and walked out from the address to their squad car on their arrival all of this indicates that uh, the geese and beavers will not be singing the heroics of P ah, Rabbit and P Arthur today. I know. Oh, they, wow. There, it, <laughs> it was weird. It's a weird moment when you like as an EMT when you're like, yeah, I hope this person is really shot. <laughs> like, <laughs> All right, so uh, P. Rabbit goes to the back of the squad car where the patient and uh, a girlfriend are, and he realizes that he like vaguely recognizes this patient from uh, a few hmm. previous encounters that they've had together. Uh, the patient is a young male reporting that he is 20 years old. He's wearing jeans and a hooded sweatshirt. He's approximately five foot eight inches. Really and quick. Is yeah. there vomit on that sweater already? There is not vomit. Is on it mom spaghetti? Already. I got to say, is, this whole thing is weird because we recognize this guy, right? <laughs> what like, do you mean, normally, like, well, yeah, because like normally when you're like, ah, it's a frequent flyer. It's like for abdominal pain, not like, ah, it's a frequent flyer. They're shot <laughs> like that's. Yeah, I mean, this I is guess weird. there is that. <laughs> this is really bizarre. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, right. By the way, uh, doing the math real quick, because I realized I didn't, uh, 172 centimeters for five foot eight in... That's not right. You stupid thing. Oh, wait. Nope. Uh, all right. Um, let's see. Yeah, 172 uh, centimeters. And then 160 divided by 2.2 is 72 wow we're getting a lot of 72s all right and wow. uh 72 70, uh 172 centimeters and 72 kgs all right yeah cool. all right fine i guess all right yeah all right so 12.87 uh, kilometers <laughs> yeah uh yeah so he recognizes the patient um and it is weird that the patient is shot because, yeah, that's typically not your frequent flyer call. Like, I got shot again. Um, all right. Uh, the patient is in no obvious dis distress. His skin is uh, pink, warm and dry. Uh, and by the way, his name for this episode is Fromage Bob. Fromage Bob. All right, Fromage. <laughs> yeah. 
because everything's required to be in French as well. So gotcha. Yeah. 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 I'm not Googling fromage as we speak either. So <laughs> fromage happens to be cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Cheese Bob. Yeah. Cheddar Bob. All right. Cheddar uh, Bob. Police no, I, no, I, I got it. I got it. Yeah. I got it. Police do say that the patient hasn't been willing to give them much of a story aside from shot at three times, hit once, fled the scene to here. Uh, so P rabbit approaches fromage Bob and notes that the patient has a feminine hygiene product taped to his lower right calf with IV tape covering, uh, what will eventually be discovered to be a single round hole with no obvious exit wound. Um, okay. He started a single round hole. Do you mean the shape of the hole is round or you mean there is a single round in it? Uh, I guess both. Yeah. We'll go with both. All right. Cool. All right. Uh, he's starts by trying to assess the patient's leg and then like move into a full body assessment. But the patient like will not let him assess him um, and insists that he's fine and he doesn't need EMS. Hmm. Uh, P rabbit tells him like, Hey, I, I actually do need to assess you and I need to make sure that you're not shot anywhere else. um, Cause the wound you have could be a distracting injury. uh, You know, that kind of rationale. Um, And the patient refuses and insists that they're fine and they don't really want to give out any more details. God, the I Mounties, hate these calls. I know. The Mounties, me too. I like them for the episode, but I hate them for me. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a perfect call for P. Rabbit. I don't want any part of this. All right. Yeah, the Mounties, right. Exactly. <laughs> the Mounties, <clears throat> thinking that like maybe their presence is what's causing the patient to uh, be uh, unforthcoming, yeah. decide that they're going to just kind of uh, back away and, you know, like, hey, uh, we'll just be over here. You guys can talk. All right. Uh, so P rabbit again, like tries to convince the patient, like, hey, man, tell me what happened. I, you know, like, I'm not the cops. We're, I'm, you know, we're the paramedics. I'm we're here friend. to help you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the patient just does not give them anything. Um except with the insistence of the girlfriend nearby does consent to allowing the patient to get a set of, or excuse me, allowing, does yeah. allow the crew to get a set of vitals. He um, allows so the patient those- to take his own set of vitals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Sir. Strap this yeah. on. Do this. <laughs> yeah. The top number is the systolic. <laughs> yeah. And it is not go. a question mark. If you, yeah. Yeah. If you get question mark, question mark, just hit the button again. That's yeah, how trained professionals over. do it. <laughs> All right. So uh, patient's GCS is 15. Their heart rate is 120. Their blood pressure is 122 over 80. Their SpO2 is 98%. Uh, hmm. We do not have a temp or a blood sugar. Uh, the patient refuses to give them any, any medical history, but P rabbit recalls from their previous encounters that the patient has a history of seizures. Um, and that's what they've gone on before. Um, so that's essentially the only history that we know of this patient, uh, 20 something year old seizures guy. Uh, they gotcha. also recall from those previous encounters that the patient back in those situations was also difficult to kind of interact with. Gotcha. What um, were the previous encounters? Were they for seizures? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. All right. Um, P rabbit does suspect that the patient is somewhat intoxicated, uh, but the patient is denying any drug or alcohol use. Um, <laughs> put a pin in that. There you uh, go. They, they advise that the patient 
they advise the patient like, hey, man, you need to be transported to the hospital so that they can get the bullet out of your leg. But the patient absolutely refuses uh, and gets like really upset at the mention of the hospital, insists that the EMS crew just take out the bullet right there. Bet. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hammer, pour, chisel, pour pop it, it right out. I, yeah. I have seen Three Kings. You just pour a little vodka on it and you're all set. And then you just go for it. <laughs> Oh, man, that was a good movie. Jesus. Uh, It's been so long since I've seen it. Yeah, actually, let me let me. (laughs) As it turns out, uh, sometimes past me did not know what a good movie was. So that's true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's fair. P rabbit explains to the patient. Yeah. Yeah. We can't take the bullet out here. Um, But the patient insists that that's the only way the bullets coming out because he ain't going to the hospital. Um, P rabbit tries his best to coax fromage Bob into getting into the ambulance, hoping in a sense to kind of like baby step them into getting transported. But the patient remains recalcitrant. Um, Look at them big words you found. Is there a rap battle coming up and you want that word in your back pocket? (laughs) Have you been sitting there looking at a thesaurus just ready to bust it out if need be? Oh, I'm Are ready. you and I I'm having ready. an eight mile style rap battle <laughs> at the end of this? <laughs> oh man! Uh, to the listeners, you know, just, no, I'm calling ready to drop bombs. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you uh, are. But I just keep forgetting all the words I wrote down. Uh, Opens yep. his mouth, but the words don't come out. Yeah, no. time's up. All over. Right. Blow. <laughs> Blow. Yep. All right. So at the 15 Snap minute mark back to of. <laughs> At the 15 minute mark of all of this uh, interaction, this kind of like back and forth that isn't going anywhere, P-Rabbit switches their approach tactic with their patient. Um, Now, I'm too old and lame to feel at all comfortable using the language that they used in their exchange. So I'm going to offer a counterexample. Let us say that this place, this call took place in a stereotype version of the American South. Gotcha. Uh, Yeah. uh, P rabbit would have said something like, okay, listen here, Haas, Bob, you got yourself a bullet in that there leg. And if you plan on running this ranch instead of limping around it, you best let us take you to the hospital. Say, uh, say that you, uh, tell us that you're not actually from the South without telling us you're not from the South. I said <laughs> I stereotype. Right <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's fair. And, uh, I feel like this beat went from eight mile to eight acre really quick. Like, <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Let me give a better example. If I were the patient, what he would have said to me was, Dude, you rolled a nat one for bullet dodging. Uh, if you want to be running this dungeon instead of <laughs> playing in it, uh, oh, you, God. you better get a cleric. Oh, yeah. Jesus. That's, yeah, uh, no, there that's, you go. <laughs> yeah. This, I'm not going to. I'm not going to get shot. People are just like, oh, it's too awkward. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Oh, gosh. He's going he's gonna to apologize to me for it. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. All right. Wow. So. <laughs> Blow. So the change in their Sorry. approach, <laughs> the change in their approach was effective. The patient with with concessions such as my girlfriend has to ride with and okay, but you're not cutting off my clothes. Uh, 
agrees to be transported. Uh, the gotcha. patient also insists on like, I'm going to walk to the ambulance, but with the assistance of like the police girlfriend and a well-placed stretcher moved conveniently just behind him, uh, the patient actually gets to sit on the stretcher and get loaded into the ambulance. Um, he insists that his girlfriend has to ride in the back, just adjacent to him. And after a brief discussion discussion over this, because uh, this was not P-Rabbit's preference, uh, P-Rabbit's uh, capitulates uh, and allows the girlfriend to sit right next to the patient on the bench, holding mm, his okay. hand. Um, right. P-Rabbit tells P-Artner, hey, oh, you know, because the partner goes like, hey, man, you want anything before we go? And P-Rabbit's like, just go, please, just go. Yeah. Uh, not wanting the patient to have too long of an opportunity to like reevaluate hundred decision. Yeah. hundred percent. The one of the, no, I, I have sat in that area before where I finally convinced something to happen. And then someone starts delaying for some reason. I'm like, guys, no, we have the momentum. It needs to keep, it needs to keep going. Cause a lot of times, cause sometimes you get someone where they just, they've ran out of good arguments, right? You've given them what yeah. they want. It's all reasonable. And, and they just haven't thought of a good enough argument yet. And the more time you give them, they will cling to something. Like someone will be like, all right, well, hang on. Let me go grab his this and his that. And his that. Like, oh, no, actually, yeah. You just mentioned my cat. I can't leave my cat. You know, like yeah, that shit uh, will happen. Yeah. Uh, like they, they find a reason if you give them time. Yeah. Don't let them find a reason. Let's fucking go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, let's put you uh let's put you in P Rabbit's shoes here. Uh right. what are you thinking about this patient? What are your what are you worried about? What treatments would you be considering? Yeah. Well, so let let's talk about him clinically. I mean the big thing here is kind of behavioral, like what's going on behaviorally. I mean, I think that's the biggest challenge. But yeah. Clinically, let's kind of speak to his vital signs. Uh, so what I got written down is heart rate 120, blood pressure 122 over 80. Okay. I don't have anything about skin signs. Uh, did they mention anything about skin signs? Pink, pink, warm, dry. Gotcha. A lot of blood around or just like localized N to the area? Or what are we seeing? No. Yeah, really no blood. Uh, there may Not be some blood, blood on the, uh, on the, the, you know, gene, but uh, there's mm -hmm. a feminine hygiene pad covering yeah. the bullet <laughs> yeah. hole that Which, I will say hey, they haven't, haven't been able to look at yet. Uh, we yeah. know that's a small round, single round hole. It's fine. Uh, I mean, but so here's, yeah. here, here's the thing is if it was significant bleeding, like you wouldn't need to look at the pad. You would just, it would be going around yeah. the pad. And if there is yeah. a lot of bleeding and the pads containing it, then okay. <laughs> I mean, good job. I, I, you yeah. know what? Yeah. I'm not going to fuck with that. Um, so here, here's a couple things uh, when it comes to clinically. So you look at the heart rate of 120 something and you got the blood pressure of 122 over something. Um, you know, these are the two things we really want to focus on that and skin science, because we want to sit there and take a look and, and see like, all right, is this guy compensating for blood loss? Right. Cause that's what we're concerned about with a leg wound. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you don't keep your heart down there. Your brain's not down there. Your liver's not down there. It, you're mostly concerned about hitting a major artery and blood loss. So when it comes to the clinically, this patient, it's like, okay, these vital signs aren't bad at all. Uh, the heart rate could be very well due to pain, uh, could be very well due to the fact that he's agitated that we're there. It could be due to the fact that it's compensating. That's how, how he's achieving that blood pressure. That's plausible. Um, yeah. Typically, when you start to see someone compensate, though, you'll see that diastolic number come up. And I think a lot of us learned that, you know, from early on in our EMT days is that, yeah, that narrowing of pressures between the diastolic and the systolic is a sign of, uh, of your body trying to compensate. And the reason that happens is because it starts shrinking the vasculature, right? To make it smaller. So it's like, hey, I don't have a lot of blood. 
So I better make sure it doesn't have a lot of pipes that it has to fill or, or you know, sure. like the, the, yeah. not a lot of space it has to fill. So I'll shrink that space by shrinking on the pipes, which is a smart move. Um, so there's a couple indicators of that. So you'll see the diastolic come up because remember the diastolic is the amount of pressure in the vascular chair at rest when the heart is not pumping. Okay. Um, that's the diastolic number. Uh, so as it gets tighter, that diastolic will get driven higher. Another thing that's really good for these patients though is check distal cap refill on the fingers. This is where your skin assessment really comes in. And that cap refill box that you've been checking on your chart for ages that you've never actually checked before uh, on a real <laughs> on, on a patient. This yeah. is the guy you want to do that on. Because here's the thing is you can actually get uh, your body will clamp down pretty good, especially if you're a younger person. Uh, it's really good at clamping down and you can maintain reasonable blood pressures, reasonable systolic blood pressures in the 120s um, with, you know, blue with, or, you know, like pale fingers that don't have cap refill because your body's clamping those down to maintain that blood pressure. Uh, you see that more commonly in patients you've put on pressures like norepi uh, for different reasons, like, you know, for sepsis and that kind of stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. You'll you'll see uh, norepinephrine will do that. But yeah, just remember that your body can absolutely clamp down flow to the fingertips uh, and fingers and hands and maintain a good blood pressure. You don't necessarily have uh, fading cap refill associated with a low blood pressure. You can have fading cap refill with a good blood pressure for a little bit. Uh, so this is the kind of patient that I, I, I would, I would make sure we're checking cap refill on and that kind of stuff. So really, really look at your, your skin exam on, on this yeah. guy. That's important. Um, but that aside, um, you know, I don't, you're saying the skin's pink, warm and dry. I'm going to assume cap refill is normal. Um, especially because that diastolic is, is normal as well. So I'm not really thinking, oh, this guy's going to go into shock anytime soon. Uh, I'm kind of more worried about the patient, uh, themselves because they are intoxicated. I still don't know why he's been shot. Yeah. And and that kind of concerns me because that's the difference between taking him into the hospital and taking him in the hospital with a Mountie writing with me. You know, like I don't want to be by myself, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and you've got a and you've got his girlfriend now back there in your patient care space bubble. And I don't know how that's going to go. You yeah. know, so, yeah, I just uh, I don't like this actually at all because the, the patient has proven themselves to be not reasonable um, mm. because you're not if you've been shot in the leg and you don't want to go to the hospital, that's not terribly reasonable. Now, it could be because you're just not terribly educated, but for whatever reason, the patients, they're not making reasonable uh, statements here. And they may be intoxicated. It hasn't really said why we think they're intoxicated, but we think they are. I'm assuming there's a good reason for that. So I have an intoxicated person making unreasonable statements at me. Uh, it's just, it's not a good scene. It's not a good situation to be in there. Uh, and I wouldn't rely on, well, I hope his girlfriend can help things. But then you got to weigh that against this. He won't go unless she's back there. So what's better? So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't yeah. know. The, I don't like this scene at all because there's part of me. It's like, hey, for my own safety, it's like, all right, we got you back there. What I would honestly probably do is, hey, we're going to get him back there and we'll get him strapped in. We'll get the door shut. Uh, and then I want to have someone ride along, whether it's an, an extra person with me back there uh, or the Mountie. He is going to get his pockets and everything is going to be checked before he gets in the ambulance with me. Yeah. By, yeah. by and, Mounties and everything. And I he didn't, will be. Yeah. I didn't ask that, but I'm going to assume that the, you know, uh, that, that check. If happens. he was in the back of the horse buggy when they got there, that probably. <laughs> yeah. <happened>. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. they have to carry them. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, the, yeah, I, there you go. But mainly most of my assessments treatments, uh, they can't really do pain control here. Well, yeah, Tordal, right? Yeah, they have Tordal. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to give him some narcotic analgesic because that would also probably chill him out a bit. Uh, but you know, there's that. 
Uh, but yeah, be mostly focused around pain control uh, and then wound management if needed, and then just getting the guy to the hospital. Yeah. Really, I I think at this point because uh, and I and I kind of ruined the flow on this one by giving away the assessment earlier. Um, but they haven't really been able to do a like a even a really good focused assessment on the patient's limb. Uh, right. Yeah. Because you won't let them. So yeah. Um. And I agree with you. I think this is a patient who appears of like for you know like all outward appearances indicate that they're stable. You know. Right. Like um that they're probably not in any kind of serious like there's no serious concern for like oh fuck this could change suddenly. Um. But right. that being said, like hey, it, it, you're, they're walking on the leg that they were shot on. Um, and they're insisting that they can walk on it. So I'm like, all right, it can't be that bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah, that's uh, true. at least in my mind, um, you know, I could be wrong, uh, but nah. I would still I feel really uncut. Like, okay, they're not going to let me look at the rest of them. It would be really uncomfortable showing up at a hospital going like, so he was shot uh, in yeah. the leg and, uh, oh, did Maybe you get no to see words? it? Nope. Nope. Sure would. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, so I, that would be, I would really want to do the assessment and, uh, you know, whether he needs IVs or any of that, I think it's, you know, maybe, but we'll see. All right. All right. Uh, so right away, as they start heading towards the hospital, the patient notices all the IV bags and other supplies set out and ready to go and inquires as to like, Hey, what's all this shit? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. why what is this and why is it here? Um and P Rabbit explains like Haas Bob, we told you were shot. I was ready. Yeah. Uh and the patient laughs at this. Uh and so uh with that, repeat vitals get are allowed to be taken and they are basically uh the same as what we had on scene uh blood pressure is great heart rate has actually gone sure. down some i think it was around like 112 um but yeah everything else is uh is the same um p rabbit again tells the patient like hey man i really want to do a full assessment but the patient continues refusing to allow them to do so um and insists that none of his clothes are going to get cut um and P rabbit tells them they'd like, Hey, I at least need to look at your leg, you know? Yeah. Um, and I want to rebandage the wound. You do have a feminine hygiene product taped to your leg right, right now. Like, exactly. And why can I put bandaging on that? Mm-hmm. Um, and the patient says no, but P rabbit is able to convince them by pulling from their, you know, like previous experiences and, yeah. you know, continuing to talk uh, in a way that, fits with like what mm-hmm. the patient you know works with the patient so essentially yeah. like he goes like hey i i haven't i always been fair at like in our dealings and respectful towards you i'd like i need you to do the same for me i'm professional right. i know what i'm doing let me do this and the patient consents at that point the patient's wound is not bleeding uh p rabbit is finally able to do a better assessment of the uh that that leg or at least from the knee down um and a distal limb uh the patient really quick, have, is this a pad or a tampon uh, i believe it's a pad i think it would have to be a pad because i'm imagining because but the other thing they could shove a tampon in there like that could be the well, case i mean That's i could, could imagine happen. like a tampon just kind of like taped over a hole <laughs> like, yeah like, but well i mean like but how badass would that be if someone shoved it in there though 
Oh, I mean, yeah. it would honestly probably work. Reason, do not it, do this. By the yeah. way, do not listen to EMS twenty twenty and roll up into your ERP and like, no, 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 guys. Was, he was shot was in a, the chest. Uh, There's a tampon in there. Don't we left the string side there, out? Uh, but we listened to this on EMS twenty twenty. There and, was an uh, R- <laughs> the dude. There was an army medic who came in uh, uh, related to one of the medics that worked at uh, our old uh, ground service, and uh, he came in and he talked about using tampons uh, out in the field. And he's like, "Yeah, the, f- the fucking trauma surgeons hate us for it, but uh, yeah, yeah. If you want to pack a wound, there it is. There you go. Yep, that's what you pack it with. Damn. Yep. All right." All right. Um, yeah. Uh, so they assess the, the limb. It's got good motor function and sensation. Uh, there's a good distal pulse. Uh, the wound gets rebandaged and uh, the patient consents and even consents in allowing uh, P rabbit to place two IVs in the arm. And this is wow. actually the time where P rabbit is glad that the girlfriend is there because uh, of course, the girlfriend is sitting on the bench where P rabbit had all of their IV stuff. So they like kind of grab some of it and they realize after they start the IV, uh, Oh man, my tagoderms, <laughs> I don't have them. Uh, Oh no. So the girlfriend is over there and is able to, uh, grab the tagoderms and open them for uh, him. And, so he uses uh, her both wow. times for both IVs and uh, wow. Yeah. So he's, she, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, hey, remember the thing I forgot the first time I tried it, forgot it again. Could you grab me? Yeah. One? <laughs> Could you do it? Uh, yeah. The best part about that, there is nothing worse than having a patient that really doesn't want an IV and then finally agreeing and then fucking missing. That is awful. <laughs> yeah, there is dude. no greater nightmare. Well, there's paperwork. We talked about yeah. this, how you and I both have the same nightmare of denting a rig and having to do paperwork, not just crashing one. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, that's our nightmares. That's my other yeah. nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I know you don't want this. Uh, it's going to take me a few attempts, though. Let me <laughs> sit there and poke. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm usually not this bad. Yeah. No, it's yeah. fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. So in the system, they only call the hospital if they're going to do emergent transports. Uh, so anyone who's coming in, essentially code one, no lights or sirens. They don't call the hospital. They just show oh, up. Oh, wow. And the hospital goes, okay. Man. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn hospital it. goes, damn it. That's what they go. Yeah. Ambulance yeah. is pulling in. Um, so they arrive at the ed and wheel the patient uh with his accompanying girlfriend into uh the area go up to the desk uh the complaint of well he's been shot is established there is some confusion because if you tell someone like hey this person's shot the initial response is the same like i think it's universal which is oh shit why didn't you call and then they see the patient, the girlfriend, the leg, and they're like, oh, okay. It's a good illustration so, on why also on why all calls should get a report. Yeah. Because uh, then this, uh, hey, you be like, yeah, he's been shot, but it's a bleeding controlled lower leg, uh, small wound patient was walking on it kind yeah. of thing, you know? Yeah. And, and then, then everyone is just like, oh, universally unimpressed. And they're like, yeah, go, go ahead and park him in there. Uh, I do have follow-up on this one. Uh, Fromage Bob left the hospital, ultimately left the hospital AMA with the uh, bullet still in their leg. AMA, by the way, is against medical advice, if anybody doesn't know. 
Um, the other wait, fun wait, with the fact, bullet still in the leg? Did you say with yeah, the bullet still, the bullet's in, the still in the leg? Yeah. So he's gonna walk with a limp. He's been hit with a few shells, and now he walks with a limp. Jesus, <laughs> this is the birth of Fifty Cent. That's what this call is. From Aj Bob, Fifty Cent makes sense. Yeah, oh, they man. both start with F. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Here's the other thing uh, that's sort of a fun fact. Um, it was learned by both the crew and the girlfriend. Uh, while all together in the hospital, that the patient is not 20. They are actually 17 years old. And Interesting. That knowledge did not go over very well with with all parties present. So, but it would uh, include like the girlfriend didn't even know. Yeah, they were they were pretty dis- they were pretty dismayed by uh, even the, the girlfriend's like, wait, like wait, this is a minor. <laughs> Oh shit! Am oh, I Leonardo man. DiCaprio right now? Like, fuck. oh man! Yeah, yeah. So, oh, no. uh, yeah. And I, I know there's going to be some people like, wait, hold on. How did he AMA if he's 17? I, I don't know. I okay. Yeah, I, I, I do not have those answers. Uh, you know, that, that's is, actually that that is an interesting question, especially because like uh, that age changes. It actually even changes state to state for those of us in the U.S. Not every state, by the way, is 18 years old for yeah. age of, uh, yeah, yeah, for that. I believe there's a few southern states where it's 16. Um, but, uh, yeah, or even like for us uh, here in Oregon, if you're under 18, then, uh, you know, yeah, we, we transport you. But if you're over 16, you can refuse individual uh, treatment interventions. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, see, I mean, there's it's entirely plausible that he can leave legally leave AMA yeah. or maybe he just stood up and said, I am getting out of here and they didn't have the resources or ability to stop him. And that's how yeah. they left. Like, yeah. that's that but could be the other thing. He did leave. Oh, man. With that bullet. So, uh, yeah, there you let's, go. Uh, that's let's awesome. end the call summary this. Alrighty, yeah. So end of call summary. So they got P Rabbit and P Artner. They get dispatched to a shooting. They pregame pretty well. They uh, prep. Uh, they do a lot of prep work that takes place prior to them even getting on scene. Uh, and they get to a spot and they wait for the Mounties to clear the scene before they enter. They had a body shield. What'd you call it? Human shield nursing home between them and the uh, retirement home. Human shield. Yeah, retirement oh, sorry. Home. Yeah, yeah. Her human shield retirement home. <laughs> Prestige. Oh my human god. Shield. Prestige. <laughs> Regions Blue Cross Human Shield. <laughs> Regions Blue Cross Human Shield. Oh, that I probably have to cut. I, nah, I'm going to leave it. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. We're leaving it. Yeah, it's going it's to stay in. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Human Shield at Avamir. All right, cool. We're good. Um, <laughs> all right. So, where the... F- was I? Uh, they're on scene. Yeah, they're waiting for Mounties behind the, the nursing home. Uh, and they find a patient that says he's 20, but he's not, uh, with a single GSW into the right lower leg, currently controlled uh, with what we're assuming is a pad. Uh, the yeah. patient is a, a feminine hygiene product pad. Uh, the patient is very reluctant to be transported, but P-Rabbit uh, kind of changes their approach and uses some of that uh, that Southern charm. That apparently just uh, really works well with this patient. They're able to convince the patient to to kind of go, uh, but they got to make a few uh, a few concessions. Uh, one, initially at least, the patient really doesn't permit a full assessment during the trip, uh, but does allow a focus inspection and some rebandaging of their wound, uh, plus the initiation of two IVs, uh, provided that their girlfriend is able to ride along. And so that happens, and the trip actually goes 
reasonably well. Uh, you know, the patient remains stable. They go to the hospital uh, where the patient eventually just says, hey, peace out, uh, I'm a minor, and then ditches. Uh, so yeah, that is, uh, that's about it. So I think the things that we want to talk about, I kind of, I do want to touch base on some of the assignments, some of the pregame. Uh, I would have had different assignments, um, but otherwise the pregame was pretty solid. Right. Uh, and you still need to explain what code switching is. Cause I was thinking this patient was going to code, uh, and they did not code. Uh, yeah. so yeah, so yeah. No, uh, it's a, this is an interesting term. Um, this was a, this was a cool call to have sent in because it really does allow for this sort of the discussion of this topic. So yeah, uh, let's, do you want to start off with the pregame and, uh, yeah. and then we'll go into code switching or do you want to vice yeah, versa? No I'll, no, I'll talk about pregame. Uh, right. so pregame is usually when you get drunk before a party. So you don't have to drink <laughs> as much when you're at the party uh, or if you're going to a bar, so you don't have to buy as much alcohol. That's pregaming. It, it, is the uh, hydration the the two days hydrating before? Is that also pre gaming or? Oh yeah, that's all part of it. Anything you all do right. to make getting drunk uh, cheaper and uh, and funner with fewer consequences. Uh, so yeah, that, that's pre gaming. Uh, talk about uh, code switching. <laughs> code switching. No, uh, so right pre gaming uh, on this show is like we talked about earlier, um, or like I rambled on earlier. Um, you do have to be careful with pre gaming. You know, pre gaming. Um, you are. What you're trying to do is try and find things that you don't want to be surprised with or that trying to figure out once you get on scene are, are going to be a pain in the arse. Like, all right, hey, who's going to do what when we initially yeah. get on scene? You know, if, if this is a gunshot wound or if this is a code and there are some things that we need to do in the first, you know, a handful of seconds walking in, who's going to do that? You know, and that can be simple. It's like, hey, guys, I'll be PIC on this one. Uh, if it is code, if it is a code. Uh, Bob and Shirley, you guys are going to be on uh, compressions and start bagging. Uh, Simon, uh, you know, you get up for an advanced airway uh, or, you know, Simon, go ahead and throw the monitor on and turn it towards me. You go for an advanced airway and then I'll start making assignments as more people arrive. If we're going to be first in because uh, it's a lot easier to go in there and be like, oh, it's not a code. And now I can reassign things. You know, you do have to do that. But what we're talking about is, yeah, when you think you may have to act fast, figure out who's going to act fast before you get there. It's to your benefit. And they did a pretty good job. The other thing they did was they got some equipment set up, right? Like they got they got their IV stuff ready. They got their bandages and their tourniquets and all that stuff ready. So that was good. So it was all out there. So there was none of that. Because uh, you've seen it too, man. Like where it's like, hey, this call is going really, really well until we have to find something we can't find uh, or we have to find something that should be in stock, but isn't, you know, like the yeah. crate kit that no one's opens in forever. You know, I was like, oh crap, you know, or the uh, suction some, unit that nobody replaced. Yeah. That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or sometimes it's also super nice to be like, Hey, I haven't used a crate kit in a while. I'll get this, uh, you know, open as we're waiting at the staging spot and take a look at it and be like, Oh yeah, that's how I do that. You know, while your mind is still calm. Yeah. Cause you're probably thinking, yeah, I'm not going to use a crate kit. Uh, but you know, now at least you're like, okay, cool. Now you're not trying to figure that out as you're like popping it out. The patient's like yeah. toxic and you need to crank them now, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it kind of helps, kind of helps there. I mean, it's not the, yeah. that is not the best time to review your equipment, by the way, like moments before needing it, but it's <laughs> slightly better Dude, than as you need it, you know, definitely like, better than as you than, need it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, that's for sure. Uh, so yeah, the pre-gaming uh, can be very helpful. So let's talk about the assignments, though, and why I would have made the assignments a little bit different. So when they made the initial uh, assignments, uh, P. Rabbit, who's the more experienced one, uh, kind of did what I think a lot of people would do, um, but I'm going to say is wrong, because apparently like when I piss you guys off, I like to do it in droves. 
so TXA and now this, but no, um, I think a lot of people would do that because they're probably thinking, hey, look, I'm the more experienced one. When I go in there, if I have to, if bleeding needs to be stopped, I'm going to be the one to do that because that's kind of the life-saving thing, right? Because we're now taught, taught, you know, in trauma, it used to be ABC. Well, now it's XABC. The first thing you stop in trauma is bleeding. Yeah. And so he's thinking that's the critical thing. I'm going to put my more experienced ass on that. Uh, and then he gave other things like, hey, grab equipment. Uh, oh, gosh. I'm going to take a look at my whiteboard here really quick and see what I wrote down. If I can even fucking read it. Grab yeah, equipment. extricate yeah. and then and come up with it. Yeah, come up with a plan to, to to get out. Here's the thing: those are all kind of PIC things to do. Mm. And so the issue is uh, the issue I have here is that when it comes down to it, you know, when it comes to controlling bleeding, um, I think the hard part, the challenge they probably ran into is they just don't know their partner well enough uh, to know how well they would they would do with that. Yeah, um, but that might be one of those things where it's like I would almost say like, hey man, when we get in there. Uh, if we have an extremity or something you control bleeding on, put the tourniquet on, put that tourniquet on tight, like yeah. just try and be cruel with the thing, you know, walk them through it. That can be your pregame because the problem is, is if you get stuck on controlling bleeding and other things are going on, or, you know, it'd be kind of like assigning yourself, pre-assigning yourself intubation and letting the less experienced guy do the other things. The nice thing about those other categories or the other things he's given the other guy is that it kind of gives you the opportunity to kind of like step back and look at the whole scene, right? Sure. Okay, I'm, I'm, I have equipment in my hands, uh, but the other guy, he can start doing the bleeding and I can start kind of looking around and being like, oh shit, you know, he's actually got another hole up higher or, hey, he looks like he's having some trouble breathing. I can start getting a story. I can start looking for egress and looking for all those things because I'm not, I didn't walk in and dunk my head underwater trying to control bleeding. So yeah. that's just one thing to kind of consider. I mean, again, well, I, I think you have a really good point, which is like the harder, <laughs> the harder tasks are often like how the fuck am I going to move this person from the scene to the ambulance? Like, yeah. Or I, I wouldn't even say harder necessarily, but they're, they're the tasks that take more experience. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause those yeah. aren't, those aren't the tasks that you often get taught in school. The bleeding right. control, the patient assessment you get taught, you might not religiously know exactly how that looks like on a real patient. If you haven't had much experience, you know, like the first time you're like, Oh, is this, this is the atrial spray, right? Like it's yeah. <laughs> spurting out. Uh, and this is what we tourniquet. And you know, like those little things. Yeah. Like there can be a little kind of hesitation or whatever, but like it's you at least are familiar with what's supposed to happen. Whereas like, if you don't have a clue of like, all right, how do I, how do I get this guy off the ground? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. You're going to be, you're going to be shoulder tapping the the guy putting on the tourniquet and going like, Hey, so what do you, do you have any ideas on how to move the patient? Right. <laughs> how do we get this one done? This, uh, this looks hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's a good point. Uh, yeah. Cause I think, I think initially, you know, I'm like, yeah, you throw yourself on, uh, you throw yourself on the grenade, uh, and make sure that the critical piece gets done. But no, like, I think there's also a, hey, maybe unless you have reason not to, which oof, then that's a whole different can of worms, uh, system problem. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Like you, you, you assign that task to your partner, uh, who is going to definitely fucking do it. 
Uh, <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, oh shit, it's me. I'm up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and again, like I'll always put, point this out there, you know, like uh, there are a lot of factors that can change this. Sure. Just again, we're not there. And there are other human factors about, you know, knowing this partner, working with this partner that may, that maybe this was the best decision, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's just initially when I'm looking at that, I'm like, gosh, you know, like if, if you're, if you're the most experienced person, you want to lead the scene, uh, you're kind of choosing a task that may dunk your head right, right underwater. Yeah. So just kind of be cognizant of uh, of going in on that. Now, I will say sometimes there are life saving tasks where you're like, yeah, I understand my head's going to be underwater, but uh, it's going to like if you walked in there and you had to crack a guy. Well, it's not in the other person's scope, you know, like or it may not be in the other person. That's not doesn't apply to this call at all. But, you know, if you're a paramedic and you have an empty partner uh, and you walk in there and you're thinking, all right, this is a, this is a patient that I cannot ventilate and I cannot oxygenate. So we're going crash airway and I may have to crack. Guess what? Your head's going underwater. You just don't have a choice. It sucks. And for anyone that doesn't know what that means, when I talk about being in a PIC, um, you want to stay away from tasks to put your head underwater because it's akin to, well, putting your head underwater. You you know exactly what's going on in front of you when you're underwater. You know exactly what's going on, like, you know, like if you're wherever you're staring underwater, but you have no idea what's going on at the surface. And so you you know, you, you kind of breach the surface of the water and you have to get reoriented, right? You look around, okay, what's moved where, and you got to get re-caught up again. And yeah. so being a PIC, you want to avoid putting your head underwater when it's avoidable. Yeah. And uh, anyway, that, that, that'll start with task assignment. All right. So uh, code switching. Yeah. All right. Well, so I think the first question everyone has is, okay, so what the fuck is code switching? If it's not, uh, yeah. you know, two dead people and you're like, actually, this one's not going very well. You want to swap? Yeah. Check out, <laughs> actually, if you guys, if you are new to the show, we've got a lot of, we actually got a lot of really cool messages from people, by the way, that have been like going through the backlog. Oh, um, yeah. I see dead people is, was one of our breakthrough episodes that, kind of blew us up a little bit but yeah it's where they run a double code so it's a pretty cool yeah. call but go back and listen to that one if you are uh if you're looking for more content and you want to check out some of our stuff and you're new go check out icd people yeah all right so uh i'm gonna quote wikipedia and then yeah here here it is this is code switching in linguistics code switching or language alterate uh, alternation occurs when a speaker alternates between two or more languages language varieties in the context of a single conversation or situation. So basically okay. you're talking one way and then you talk a different way in the same situation, uh, depending on the context. Now, yeah, it seems weird, but when you think about it, we actually like, we do this all the time, you know, like we're, we talk one way to our friends and then a boss walks by and we're like <clears throat> professional sounding, professional sounding, yeah, professional absolutely. sounding. Oh, okay, cool. He's gone. Uh, you know, or yeah, there's a lot of reasons. Some of the reasons that Wikipedia offered up uh, are essentially like uh, speakers find they are not able to express themselves adequately in one language. Uh, so they switch to another to work around that deficiency, um, which, you know, could sometimes mean the person's going to speak more in their language. But like, yeah, other other languages, other cultures have words for you know, uh, feelings or situations that like we don't have, you know, like in English, there aren't words for, um, you know, so, uh, that's, that's yeah. one of the reasons that that happens. Um, switching to a minority language is very common as, as a means of expressing like solidarity with a social group. Uh, the language change signals to the listener that the speaker is from a certain background, uh, which enables sort of a, like a rapport to be built, uh, 
sure yeah a similar background and understanding um a switch between languages can signal the speaker's attitude towards the listener friendly irritated distant ironic jocular etc um yeah yeah so you can, you can and, see you know, some downsides though but uh, oh, yeah. sorry go you ahead can, but yeah no, you definitely can see some downsides so Here's here. Let's let's get into that then, uh, because this is one of those topics that comes up in EMS where it's like, yeah, hey, you're this. There are there are ways that I think this is good. And I think there are ways that this can be bad. Um, I think there's some advantages gained when you are able to, you know, to talk to patients in a way that better fits with their understanding when you're able to present information in a way that better fits with their worldview, their understanding, um, their beliefs. But I think there are some risks where it seems disingenuous or might come across as manipulative. Um, And so there's some ethical uh, quandaries into this. So uh, yeah, like tell me what you think. think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, well, so for example, imitating a Southern accent, if you're clearly not from the South, yeah. you can really, I, I mean, yeah. it come off like, oh, so you're mocking me now. Yeah. Like that. that's how that can come off. And I also just have these visions of Michael Scott from The Office whenever he tries to be cool with the other uh, <laughs> office people. Dude, yes. And that, but it's the same thing, right? Like he'll code switch and it's just so bad. Or it's like the dad that tries to be hip. You know, like that's, yeah. you know, it's just, uh, yeah, it, yeah. it's, it's have awful. you code switched like with patients before? Have you, have you found yourself? I can't really think. Um, so the only time that I've, uh, that I would say that I've code switched is, uh, I'll go in, you know, I have kind of my standard, very professional approach and I've, I've kind of found that I've honed that professional approach to a degree to where, um, a lot of people, it, it, it's professional, but also very inviting, uh, yeah. to where I kind of want to seem like. The person, one, I'm the person who's in control, who can make things happen. And two, I'm on your side. And that that's kind of like, like what I have, what I want to go in there where it's kind of like, okay, this is the guy that is, he's in charge. If I want something to happen, it's going to have to go through this guy. And he's also on my side. And that's kind of what I try and cultivate. However, where I'll code switch is if I truly find that I have a legitimate, like we have a legitimate commonality or something like that, then I will try and like speak to that. You know, yeah. um, so, you know, I mean, and, and and if I'm understanding code switching correctly, this could be something as simple as, uh, you know, like you walk in and you notice that you have a shared hobby between you and them. Or I recognize something like, uh, so here's the thing, I'm not, God, people are going to get so mad when I say this. I, I I appreciate Star Wars. I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan. Okay, I'm yeah. not really religious about it. My brother, on the other hand, huge Star Wars fan. And so by osmosis, I have picked up way more than your average bear about star Wars. And yeah. so, um, when, uh, so yeah, so if I go on scene and you know, I have, you know, someone trying to talk to you and I see there's like star Wars shit all over the place. Uh, I will absolutely bust out my star Wars knowledge and just be like, Oh, are you gonna be watching you know, Mandalorian coming up or, you know, you, you start bringing that up and I don't sure. know if that's quite code switching, but it is in a way I think, cause now all of a sudden you're talking about star Wars. Like, what do you think of the prequels and like that kind of stuff? You can have those, connections where it's like hey like we have something in common we can talk about it is code switching if it has its own sort of vernacular you know what i mean like where there's and and it totally does yeah yeah, there yeah like there's definitely you know like there's doctors (laughs) 
I remember I was doing my uh, clinical rotation and a doctor asked this patient about his, uh, you know, he's like, uh, sir, you know, have you had a bowel movement? And, you know, this is a, this is a person who, uh, doesn't have a home has been, you know, like drinking heavily uh, and they're like semi asleep through this thing. And they're, they're kind of like, what, you know, and then they'd fall back asleep and he's like, sir, tell me about your bowel movement. And finally I'm just like, Hey man, when's the last time you pooped? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the patient's right. like, Oh, I don't know. Like this morning, you know, I was like, all right, did it yeah. seem good? Like, was it a good poop? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, uh, so in a way, you know, like, that that is in in some fashion code switching um and it i think yeah i think where do you think it would be dangerous like where where it goes wrong um well it's like i mentioned earlier i think it would go wrong if you come off as insincere like as mocking somebody you know yeah. again let's let's go back to you know if you uh if you're <laughs> let's go back to me 20 minutes ago <laughs> Let's go back to, uh, let's go back. Well, no, but seriously though, let's go back yeah. to mim- like well, what we did in, in this call and, you know, mimicking a Southern accent. If you're not from the South, you can come off as mocking. Yeah. You know, it, it can come off as insincere and, and manipulative. I think you run the risk. I don't think it really, you run the risk when you come off as insincere. Mm, and and yeah. that's basically it. And whatever scenario you can plug into it, you know, whether it's talking about Star Wars, it turns out you don't know shit about Star Wars. <laughs> for like, oh, yeah, my friend's a big Star Trek fan, too. You know, like that. Oh, there you go. You just burnt that to the ground. You know, hey, beat me up, Scotty. Right. You know, like that yeah. kind of stuff. You just. Yeah, yeah that, that's not going to work out very well. You're a wizard, uh, Harry. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that it? Harry Potter, you yeah. know, something. Uh, petroleum. I, thought, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, but like, uh, yeah. So you've got that going on. So you got that whole thing going on where you got to really worry about, like, yeah. If you come off as insincere, this will backfire. And basically, I don't know. I, I after kind of talking about code switching here, I, yeah, I think yeah, it's a it, it is a strict, uh, it is a double edged sword. Yeah, and it's uh, it's one of those things that like I, I would say if you're gonna code switch, uh, don't be insincere. Don't yeah. lie. Well, and I, you know, here's the thing. I want to give us a little credit uh, because uh, in a uh, long time ago, we talked about uh, it was the head in the heart uh, episode. Uh, yeah. And we talked about, hey, you know, like, don't, you know, do not try and fake like, don't not try and lie your way into a good rapport because you will right. not be able to do that. There needs to be some amount of honesty um, like a fair mm-hmm. amount of honesty going in, yeah. you know, like you're not going to, you know, go to the old timer and go like, yeah, <laughs> how about that war? You know, like if you, right. if you were it's in a war, don't well. fucking, yeah. Don't pretend you were. Um, yeah. so, uh, and that is one of the key features I think that you hit for this to be successful. And it's, I think there's an amount of like, this is a, this is understanding this is good empathy um but understanding the the catch is also like hey do you avoid fucking pissing somebody off um and i have an article i'm gonna kind of uh i'm gonna paraphrase some of here uh this article is called departing from doctor speak a perspective on code switching in the medical setting uh it's written by uh a nathan l wood nathan i wood 
I'm not sure. Um, and he says, I believe there are several real benefits that can come from a physician code switching in a medical interview. Um, and he gives some examples of this uh, in his article, but paraphrased, here are the three benefits that are present by code switching. Uh, one, you build rapport because you highlight kinship or common bonds with the patient, meaning that they are more likely to like you and trust you. Um Two, trust the patient who sees a provider who's willing to authentically, I'm going to insert that there, uh, communicate in their manner of speaking often views the provider as more genuine. So, you know, in this situation, in this call, when P rabbit, you know, talked to the patient in the manner that they spoke, which was not with a fake Southern accent, uh, but there was a, there was sort of a departure from the professional into a language that matched what the patient talked. And it sure. came across as more genuine, which is why the patient agreed, right? Like, he was like, sure. okay, hey, this guy's speaking to me at my level. There's no bullshit. He's telling me. He gets he me. He gets me. Exactly. Um, and the third benefit is speaking in a manner that the patient can understand can help, like, helps them better understand the treatments and or like when combined with those previous audit, like uh, previous benefits means that they're more likely to adhere to them as well, because you're able to communicate in a way that they understand, Hey, this is why these treatments are important, etc. Um, But yeah. he does say uh, that there are some very real in like risks inherent when you know, you are code switching when you are switching up your language. Uh, and the big one is you can offend the shit out of your patients. Uh, and, you know, you can make a situation become very tense or awkward when it turns out that the, you know, like the cred that you thought you had, you don't have with this person. Yeah. You know, uh, or, at worst, you essentially terminate the the relationship because you can't salvage it. Um, and sure, yeah. uh, and so they said, you know, he, to that point, some things that you should avoid. Uh, first, make sure if you are employing another language, dialect, cultural norm, uh, you have to have a legitimate claim or affiliation with that language. Um, you should. You should know what you're talking about. You shouldn't right. just go like, oh, <laughs> you should not Michael Scott <laughs> from The Office. Yeah, you should not. <laughs> of that. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, like, like when he tries to go down to the warehouse. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. And and, uh, we, yeah. You know, like, you don't know. And you have to consider, too, like who you are. Like I, as a privileged white male, should probably be very self-conscious if I'm trying to code switch in a minority group's language you know what i mean uh because then it's there's a possibility that they're like mm, here's this person who's co-opting it or you know tr yeah. taking it i can or, see that being a big problem yeah um yeah and really like more importantly is it's not just our words it's the body language that goes with it um it's not just saying the right things you really have to demonstrate that you like your body language should be clear uh to the patient yeah. well and I yeah and I think to summarize that that first point there is, you know, like you said, like you have to have a like like a legit claim or affiliation to whatever you're code switching to. Yeah, you have to have that. Yeah. Um, and if you don't, don't do it. Yeah. And that's what we talked about earlier. Like it's like, yeah, this, this has to be an honest. You can't fake it, or it's going to come out. I mean, I, I think uh, 
<laughs> to think about the last time you, I mean, we've all run into this in the, in the field where we talk about, uh, um, where we talk about, um, you know, other people that, uh, you know, you're like, yeah, no, I'm a paramedic. And then someone tries to talk about their medical professional career or whatever it is. It's nothing like a paramedic, but they're trying to like talk your language or pretend that they're in the know yeah. and they're just so clearly not. And it's awful. <laughs> Dude. Anyway. Yeah. And, and you can tell, you know, when someone like is yeah. pretending, of course you can. Yeah. Cause you're yeah. like, oh yeah, this is not at all the experience of any other paramedic. I've yeah. talked to, and I can say that now because I've talked to a lot of fucking paramedics and EMTs. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, your like the caution should be: this is something that uh, uh, Mr. Woods says, which is, "Hey, coach switching should not be done with the intention of getting our patients to think we're cool or manipulating them into following treatment plans. Likewise, we should not code switch only to showcase our foreign language skills or proficiency in impressions." Um, his last one, which, you know, I don't know if I really give a shit about, uh, is, you know, like, hey, you got to keep it professional. You shouldn't, like, be profane with your patients. Um, uh, I don't know. I Okay. So, Mr. Woods uh, says, for instance, a physician code switching his lexicon to use vulgarity, no matter how accepting of this practice the patient may seem, can never be acceptable. Um, and I kind of take, I don't think that's true. I. I, yeah, I, I have a hard time. I mean, I, I don't know. I, cause well, I'm not a doctor, well, but, but I would, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't, you don't need to be. Yeah. Uh, here's, here, here's kind of my thing is the word never. Ah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't like the word never because it, it, it's, it's very presumptuous that you have, uh, forecasted all plausible, uh, scenarios or all possible scenarios even. Yeah. Uh, and you have determined that none of them shall be, which you cannot do. So the the sentence is false on its face because uh, because you cannot say never because uh, you you cannot possibly know all all in instances in, w in which this is needed. Uh, now that said, he doesn't really define vulgarity. Yeah, if you're talking about vulgarity, and it, it, it really mm. that yeah, really is subjective. Not necessarily because profanity. Yeah, but vulgarity. Yeah. And what he may be saying is that, and and this, so actually there is an instance, I guess, where this sentence could be true then, is is if what you're saying, if the definition of vulgarity for you is the point at which it is too far, at which what you are saying is, is going to cross the line to where it's offensive to all parties involved, even the person you're trying to talk to. Um, well, no, because then he kind of screws it up because he does say, he does talk about, you know, well, if the patient is, you know, you can't use vulgarity even if the patient is accepting to it. That is actually where I'd say it's the uh, one time where it's acceptable to use vulgarity. Yeah. What I w here's what I would say is if it was one of those things where you're sitting there it's like, man, I can't really get this person to come my way. God, if I dropped an F-bomb, maybe they would come my way and, and get this treatment they need so they don't die. Nah, I can't use that F-bomb. Mm. They're going to have to just refuse the treatment and, and be worse <laughs> off for it. I, if, if, if it's the difference between being able to treat this patient adequately and not, say the F-bomb. Drop it. Drop it five times. You know, maybe don't drop it loudly, you know, like yeah. so other people don't have to hear. But go for it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I will say, I, I think there are definitely times where I've like sworn with a patient in the presence mm -hmm. of a patient, you know, like as a yeah. You're like, all right, you know, see, we're all friends yeah. here. And, and it hasn't like, there's probably more times than I've actually recognized where it probably hasn't mm -hmm. really done well or like served me better. Yeah. Um, but I like, if you ever, uh, I, mm -hmm. the best time, 
to swear <laughs> with a patient is when they want to swear. They're mm-hmm. like, God, it just mm, hurts. Oh, you know, and it you're like, hurts. it fucking hurts. And they go, yeah, it fucking God, I don't hurts. know if I'd be the first to swear, yeah. though. I don't know if I'd be. I mean, unless I got really good intuition. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd want to be the first to swearing. swear. I might tell them, hey, man, if you want to swear, it feels good to swear. Go yeah. for it. Belt it out. I'm cool with it. Uh, now, one thing I will say yeah. is, you know, I keep pondering this word vulgarity. Uh, but yeah, when we talk about vulgarity, you know, maybe, maybe there's another way to look at it too. Is like, don't, don't be vulgar to the point of being disingenuous. Like, you know, you mentioned, gen, you know, we, or you and I both actually talked about being genuine earlier. And so if someone's like expressing like, I don't know, hate speech in your ER, you don't have to then express hate speech back at them. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, to try yeah, yeah. and get in with them because then, cause then you're okay. For one, it's not acceptable. And that's actually that, that kind of hate speech is damaging to other people uh, in a very real way. Yeah. And you can cause, and and then no, in that case, like, yeah, convincing this patient to take the pills you need him to take, uh, it, it's not worth uh, damaging, uh, you know, like other people by, uh, you know, reinforcing their hatred. It's not worth it. Yeah. But um, the other thing is also that genuine thing we talked about is that uh, you're not being genuine. And so, yeah, I, I would say that would be the case if that's the kind of vulgarity we're talking about. Then I understand the sentence of saying, hey, that's not acceptable. But if we're just talking about four letter words, then. Yeah. And maybe that's it. what it is. It's, you know, something along the lines of like, if it's like crass humor or, you know, something, something like that, then you're like, yeah, I think, I think there's an expectation that, you know, like of, of some, mm. uh, professionalism, but it, I, I, again, I think there's, there is something when you are able to sort of show the patient that it, you're not just professionalism you genuinely care and if you have to like right. if you can say a four letter word uh and make that and it and make that point and make that connection and you are pretty sure you can you're not just like i want to swear at this patient then right. like yeah yeah then then do that or invite them to feel comfortable doing that that's probably a better approach than being like yeah it yeah. fucking hurts and they're you know and then finding out they're like no I was going to say that's not what I was going to say. It freaking yeah, hurts. Yeah. Um, well, wow. that's why I reiterate. Don't, don't recharge. <laughs> you don't have to lead the charge down, down yeah. F word Avenue. Like that's not, yeah. but if you, you don't yeah. have to, but, or you could be me yeah. and do that. And then, uh, you know, yeah. sometimes nah, find you yourself in an awkward shouldn't. spot. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Talking uh, to HR. So, um, really, this is sort of the, this is sort of the crux of the episode. Um, I, if we, if we move on, um, I, I mean, I don't have much to talk about for their system uh, I, because it's not a system oh, I'm yeah. really comfortable or familiar with uh, to Very evaluate. Um, so, you know, uh, we already talked about pregame. Yeah, That's for darn we sure. Definitely did that. Uh, quick question for yeah. you, though. I just want to pose. I mean, we're kind of running up on, you know, the episode's running long here, um, but um, not that anyone cares. Apparently, you guys just listen more. <laughs> but um, really quick. Uh, so what if they refused? Oh, like on the same. I mean, I hate, I hate the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, what okay. if what if he ultimately said, "No, you're not transporting me." I, um, I can tell you what we might be able to do in the U.S. Yeah, uh, I don't know how it works in uh, other countries, but in the U.S., like this guy would probably be a candidate for a police officer's hold because of the presence of intoxicants. The intoxicants was not explored on this episode very well in terms of like you know we just didn't have that info because it didn't. End oh, up, we didn't really. Have you know to what? I go down. I that. just failed to tell you. Uh, the, oh, the, gotcha. the girlfriend admitted to some, some beverages and, uh, some, some marijuana okay. use. 
which yeah. all right so yeah. so we have intoxicants present then you know we have at least enough to where we have uh, intoxicants present yeah. that or you did tell me and i just didn't <laughs> i just didn't pick it up because i'm good at that um you know and, and i think this would be so in the united states the hard part about it is a lot of a lot of times we like to think, oh, if this is presence of intoxicants, well then then they can't refuse. They absolutely can. Yeah. Um, because that's not the test. The test is very, very subjective. Because here's the thing, if that was the case, whenever your ambulance company needed to bill more people, you could pull up to any given bar in your town and just start putting people in the ambulance saying they can't refuse my service. <laughs> um the actual the way it kind of boils down to is uh the general question you should ask yourself is are they able to make medical decisions in their own best best interest? And that's really what it boils down to. And a lot of times people be like, well, no, like in my state, if they're alert and oriented, nine times out of 10, that's not your state. That's your agency. Yeah. And your agency is telling you this is the law and it's not because they don't understand it's not the law. Uh, and maybe your state does have its own laws and I am wrong. But generally speaking, where I practice, um, you that's not uh, that's not that's not the test, you know. And so just because someone uh, has intoxicants present doesn't mean they cannot refuse. So in this case, this person uh, had intoxicants present. I think it'd be very easy to be like, hey, this person had intoxicants present and they have been shot and they didn't want to go to the hospital. You'd be very comfortable sitting in uh, sitting in a court anywhere. That's where it would come down to uh, if it ever became an issue. Yeah. You'd be very comfortable sitting in a court being like, yeah, we had to, uh, you know, have have the police help us restrain this patient, or you know, uh, chemically restrain him or do whatever we can, because they were they were intoxicated. Uh, their friend had said they were intoxicated, and they weren't making reasonable decisions in their own best best interest. You know, they were they were expressing that they'd gotten shot and said that they wanted us to pull the bullet out on scene, and they weren't going to the hospital. Yeah. You know, these aren't reasonable requests, and I don't think you would ever get in trouble for that. Again, again, one thing I've said on this show before, the law is not black and white. It is very, very, very gray, and there is no bulletproof defense. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it all comes down to how good, uh, the other lawyer is. So, you know, you could, you could, you could have at the, the guy could be fallen down drunk with a hole in his head. And if there's a good enough lawyer, they still might be able to get you for something. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's the reality of it. There is no, there is no invincible shield, but you can, you can make things a lot better for you. And I think in this case, there is enough on scene for this guy, at least in the U S that it would be a really strong argument. How about this? It's a much easier argument to make for having to resort uh, to having the police help you force this guy to the hospital than it would be to allow him to refuse. That would be the difficult argument to make. Could you imagine sitting there being like, hey, so this guy who was shot and and his girlfriend said, yeah, he's high and drunk. He wanted you to pull a bullet out on scene or he's not going. And you said, sign here. Explain that. Like, that would be a really hard argument to make versus, uh, yeah, the, going the other way. Yeah. So that would be my two cents on on refusal, at least if this occurred in the U.S. Yeah, um, I'm I'm glad that there this didn't turn into a refusal. Uh, and I'm glad that yeah, I'm glad that they stuck around to, you know, for the long for the long time they did to try and convince this yeah. patient to go. Um yeah. One last thing on that topic. Um, P rabbit said that they really tried to avoid bringing up the hospital cause it seemed to enrich, like it seemed to trigger the patient. Um, and they, oh, you know, call, and, yeah. well, uh, sometimes, uh, it's worth actually diving into that and finding out why the patient wants to avoid the hospital. Like, you know, they're like, Oh, oh yeah, that's a good point. Man, I don't want to talk about the hospital. Cause every time I bring it up, he says like, no, I'm not going, but sometimes it's really worth going like, Hey man, 
I noticed every time that I bring up the hospital, you're, you get really upset. Can, can you help me understand? I want to understand it from your point of view, because then you, then you kind of can figure out what it is about the hospital specifically or, or why they might. And maybe they won't. Maybe they're like, fuck you. I don't want to tell you. And yeah, but yeah. then you're just as there you go. But then you're back to square one, which is okay. Hospital is not an area that we get to talk about. Not <laughs> talk about. Yeah. So uh, a good book on that material is actually going to be by Chris Voss. It's never split the difference. And he talks about getting to know. Um, and, uh, you know, cause a lot of people when they're in negotiations, they want to get to yes. And Chris Voss's take is like, no, nah, yes is usually, uh, nine times out of 10. If you hear a yes quick, it's usually a yes, but, and so yes is normally a way to placate and stall. Yeah. Get to know. Cause once you get to know, it's like, all right, now we can have a discussion. And so if someone's saying no, you can actually explore that. And, uh, getting the yes isn't as important as dissolving the no. Yeah. And so, uh, anyway, so yeah, check out, uh, Chris Voss's, uh, never split the difference. Yeah. It's a, it's a good book. All right. Uh, all right. Is that it? That- oh, BLS only provider treatments. This was a BLS call pretty much, except for the IVs that were started. So do this, uh, <laughs> the big thing when Especially it comes to the uh, IVs, if it's not in your scope. Definitely do the especially, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, if this isn't in your scope and your BLS only, um, and, and by the way, I, I do want to make it cl- make it clear we we are aware there's a lot of municipalities out there that are like, hey, we're EMTs and we start IVs. Uh, totally get that. I, yeah. I, I I know you exist and, and I'm proud of you. Um, but there's a lot of municipalities where they don't. Um, so. Uh, the IVs are if they're not in your scope, then yeah, don't do them. Uh, but other than that, like guys, like Hammond, I've said this time and time again, guys, the important stuff is put in your scope, not the easy stuff. There's a lot of really hard things in your scope of practice. Uh, and for a patient like this, where you're worried about hemorrhage, uh, hemorrhage control, the number one thing that's going to save this person's life is not actually that fluid replacement. Um, if you have a controllable hemorrhage, if you have a controllable hemorrhage, the number one thing to do is control the hemorrhage because all the fluid replacement in the world doesn't do a lot of good if it's pouring out an open wound in the leg. So, you know, you have to control the hemorrhage. If you can't control the hemorrhage, that sucks. You know, if it's something internal, but, uh, but yeah, so yeah, hemorrhage control, hemorrhage control, hemorrhage control. That is very much BLS. Uh, tourniquets are fantastic. Quick tip when you're putting on a tourniquet, um, you tighten that thing as tight as it will go. Uh, one of the ways it was actually taught me by a guy who was a Navy SEAL, uh, he, well, he was a corpsman in the Navy attached to a Navy SEAL unit. However, I'm not in the military, have not been in the military, however that works. Uh, but he was a medic there, became a paramedic, ended up working for a flight agency. And he was teaching us how to do tourniquets when I first got hired. We had cadaver labs and they actually made these cadavers bleed by plumbing them with uh, fluid. And yeah, they bled all over and it was awesome. We got to put tourniquets on them and stuff. But uh, he's like, yeah, when you go in here, he's like, you uh, rotate the leg. Let's say it's, uh, he was, uh, this is for legs, by the way. Uh, but I imagine the same concepts could apply to an arm, but you do a lateral rotation of the, le- of the leg, right? So knee pointing out, toes pointing out. And then you just put your knee just right on top of like where the femoral artery is and you put your knee there and then you put the tourniquet near that. Cause what you're doing is you're compressing all that tissue. You're pre and you're also putting your knee over the femoral artery while you put a tourniquet on. Um, but you put the cat on and you're compressing all that tissue. So when you go to tighten that tourniquet, you're not sitting there trying to tighten. Cause if you just put around the circumference and start turning that bar, mm. you're going to be compressing a lot of fatty tissue. Yeah. If you pre compress that tissue to where it's already squished down, then you're starting out way ahead of the game. Right. Yeah. 
And so then you just kind of start to, then you turn it from there and it worked like a charm. It worked fantastically. Nice. Uh, so yeah, you just, and you tighten that thing as tight as it will go. Because remember, it's one of those things where if they're truly, and this is in a case where we're talking about someone who's truly losing a lot of, a lot of blood, where they will be out of it within minutes if you don't stop it. Don't fuck around. Yeah. Just put the tourniquet on and just go crazy. All right. That's it, everybody, for today's episode. Thanks again for listening to another episode of EMS 2020. So, guys, yeah, go ahead and check out our social media, especially if you want to hear your call on this show. It's uh, we are uh, EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook. We're at EMS 2020 show on Instagram. On Instagram, you'll find a beacons page with a link to a form where you can uh, uh, send us a call. And there's a pinned post on Facebook where you can find the form. Don't worry. We don't make the call from the form. That's just a get a hold of you kind of thing. And we will get a hold of you. Uh, like I said earlier, we will find you uh, and get the call from you. Uh, with that, uh, yeah, see you guys in a couple Wednesdays. All right.